in, in verse 1, let's go to John 5, verse 1. Verse 1, it talks about whoever believes. Now, what, what does it say about whoever believes in John 5, 1? They've been born of God. Born of God, okay. Now, in John 5, Actually, wait a minute. That's uh, four. John five four. He talks about someone born of God, right? And what is this person that's born of God? Overcomes the world. He overcomes. Okay. And who is the one that overcomes the world, according to John five five? Believes that Jesus is the Son of God. Believes. Jesus. Okay. So John is kind of going a, a little bit in a circle there when he's talking about these things. Yeah. But Are we in first, first John? John. John? I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Let's start over. <laughs> first John. We are in First John, right? I threw everybody off by just saying John, right? We got to do that, okay? So we know from, uh, as John has been talking about this, whoever, this belief aspect of, uh, this belief aspect is everything. He says, everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ, this is verse 1, has been born of God. And everyone who loves the Father loves whoever. But that we won't go into that part right now. Then verse four says, "For everyone who is born of God overcomes the world." And then who is it that overcomes? Verse five, except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. So belief that Jesus is the Son of God does two things. So far, causes one to be born of God. I mean, there's other results of that, but we are born spiritually in the family of God, and. We overcome the world. These are the results of beliefs so far. And we're going to get a couple more of those today. But Jared talked about, you know, how that... Uh, Jared talked about this last week. I won't review too much of that. We're, we're at verse 6 today. And this is kind of getting into the area of uh, testimony. The idea of sort of like evidence and, and sort of like what testimony is and witnesses and how we believe and how we come to know something is true. And uh, I'll talk a little more about that later, but in verse uh, 6 it says, This is he who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ. Not by water only, but by the water and the blood. And the Spirit is the one who testifies, because the Spirit is the truth. For there are three that testify... <coughs> The spirit and the water and the blood, and these three agree. Now, before we get into this too far, I, I need to address something about the difference in Bibles. Because if you got a King James Bible or the 
New King James Bible, you notice that there's a big difference in what is included in there and what's not included in there. But if you look at the way it's written in the ESV and uh, most other versions, it leaves out the part about uh, somebody who has a King James will have a part about it that says there are three that bear record in heaven, the Father, the Son, the Word, and the Holy Spirit, and these three uh, are one and that sort of thing. What had happened as they looked through the manuscripts going back through years um, is that this that phrase that's, that's included in the King James and the New King James was, was only uh, added into a, a, a certain version that was in Latin, okay? So I, I need to get this out of the way so we can kind of get on the same page about what this is talking about, because otherwise we're going to get a little bit of confusion. So back in the fourth century in Latin, they had included something that had originally been written in the, in, the, in the margin that was sort of an explanation, because when, when you read this, it's not immediately apparent if you read something that says, this is he who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ, not by the water only, but by the water and the blood, and so on, you read that and you go, what? You know, like, it's not immediately apparent what that's all about. So what one person did was he, he saw this thing where it says in verse 8, the spirit and the water, and the, there are three that testify, the spirit and the water and the blood, and these three agree. And so, hang on, I got the wrong one. I got the wrong one here. So it says, uh, it said in that, so, so the guy that was writing the scribe in the third century said, well, in the Latin, in the Latin version of that Bible, this guy put it right into the Bible, the part about uh, the Spirit, uh, the Father, the Word, and the Spirit, bearing record in heaven, and all that. So that was a, a controversial piece of, uh, of, of, of the passage that wasn't included in, in all of the other languages that the Bible did. Uh, had been in, in all of the Greek uh, versions of the Bible. And so it was first in the margin, and, and the guy brought it into the Latin, ver a certain Latin version in the fourth century, about 380, okay? So that's a long time ago. But uh, it wasn't in any of the Greek translations. Uh, but when the guys were, this guy named Erasmus, who was uh, translating into the, translating uh, the Bible, he included, uh, he, he looked at all the translations and he didn't include it in what we know now call the received text or the textus receptus. I know I'm losing some people here, but just bear with me. So in 1516, he wrote a, 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 a version of the Bible, a, a translation of the New Testament that didn't have this in there. But the Latin people in the Roman Catholic Church they said, no, we want that in there because we like that or we think it should be in there. And there was all kinds of arguments about that. So in the, in the, in the first and second editions in 1516 and uh, shortly after that, 
He didn't include it, but he had pressure to put it back in. So in the, in the third edition of his two New Testament translated into Greek, in 1522, he put it in, okay? And then from that, you got what we now have, now have as the King James Bible, which is uh, was translated in 1611, uh, just over 400 years ago. So when we think about this, it's, it's important that, to understand that this was put in because in all of the uh, other translations in Syriac, there was, there was seven other translations of the Bible. And there were Syriac, Arab, Ethiopian, Coptic, and Sahedic, Armenian, and Slavonian. That little passage in 1 John 5, 7 wasn't in there. So when we have the Bible today and we see that it, it probably shouldn't be in there because it was an addition to the Word of God, then we can be, you know, it can cut. There's two things that could happen. We can get a little shaken. Okay, we can go. Well, can we trust? Can we trust what's written down? But I think in, a, in another way, we can look at it and go. You know how? Maybe I should ask you guys. Can we? Is the Bible more trustworthy or less trustworthy now that we can look back and see that all of the versions before 1522 did not have this little piece of writing in it. And, and then we found some that did, and we, and we were relying on that, and we looked back and we found that that probably shouldn't be in there. How, do you, how does that make us feel? Maybe I should put it out that way. Anybody have a thought on that? Yeah, because that's that would be the natural thing. What is the accuracy of, of the Bible that we have? And so, but there's another way to look at it, is that in the New Testament there are only 50 passages that have any kind of a question about whether they're really there or not. Now that's one one thousandth of the text. Okay? None of those passages change any doctrine of belief of Christianity. So that's an important thing to understand. It's not like there's something that relies on this. Now, a lot of people say, well, that proves the Trinity, that God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. But we know from many other passages of Scripture, even some will look at today, that the Bible teaches that without us having to add something in that states it explicitly. We have many, many passages that we could look to, to to prove that, which we're not going to do today. But we can at some point. So that's one of the things. And the other thing that I was thinking of is that we have so many versions and manuscripts, and so many times the Bible has been copied and written carefully that we can look at all those things and come to a, a knowledge of what is really supposed to be there. That should affirm our faith more than it should take away from our faith. It's like when you read the internet. Do you ever, do you ever read the internet and you read something and go, I don't know if that's right. Am I saying that right? Read <laughs> take a long time. Read something on the internet. Read something on the internet. You read something, a news story, a report on the internet. Okay? And we go, okay, well, I'm not sure about that. So we check the source of it and go, oh, that's sources garbage. So we look somewhere else where we kind of trust a little more. We find four or five other sources and we go, oh yeah! That must be true because 
so and so said it, so and so said it, so and so, and national inspire said it, so that must be true. <laughs> no, not quite. You know, not that. But uh, we look at the source, whether it's reliable, and we can have so many sources, and that's one thing that could actually should enhance the trustworthiness of the Bible. And we can look at it and go, you know, it's true. And the Bible says that we are not to add to the words of Scripture. So I want to I want to just kind of get that out of the way first of all, in case you kind of messed up with your Bible. And, and if you want to talk about it more later, I've read a lot about it recently, but that's really not not crucial to what we're doing today. The other thing I wanted to point out is in the early early days of Christianity back in the first and second centuries, they debated a lot about the Trinity whether God was a trinity or the person of Jesus and that sort of thing. And nobody in trying to prove the trinity ever quoted 1 John 5, 7. They quoted 1 John 5, 6 and 1 John 5, 8, but it's like it wasn't there in the first several centuries of, of, of the scripture. So we can be fairly certain that it was an addition trying to explain the thing that we're going to explain right now about what this means about agreement. And the, these three are in agreement. <clears throat> now I want somebody to read, somebody's quick with, to get to the Old Testament. Deuteronomy 19.15. This has to do with how things are established. Truth is established. Somebody got that? Deuteronomy 19.15. Single witness shall not suffice against a person for any crime or for any wrong in connection with any offense that he has committed. Only on the evidence of two witnesses or of three witnesses shall a charge be established. Okay. We'll get to more of this later. But basically what, what uh, Shalari just read talked about the fact that God has this thing, uh, the established rule for witnesses for evidence, for truth about a charge in this case, a charge against a person, whether it was true or not, was two, whether two or three people agreed on it. And you find that recurring in scripture again in Corinthians where in, in the context of church discipline, two or three witnesses uh, supposedly have to come together to agree that yeah, this is, this is what's going on in this person's life. So that, that, that precedent, that idea that will establish truth by three witnesses is something that's common throughout Scripture. So when John, John talks about these three are in agreement, the Spirit, the water, and the blood, he is giving evidence, okay? And so we'll talk more about evidence in a second, but why would, what, is, what is he talking about? Why would he say Spirit and water and blood? And I'm, I'm just going to kind of give you the background that John is speaking to. Now, in the first, uh, when we first talked in First John one, we talked about uh, the different Gnostic beliefs, and there was this guy named Serinthus who taught that God was too pure and perfect to be involved in the material world. He had nothing to do with material and physical things, okay? Because God is pure and perfect, and He's uh, spiritual, completely spirit, completely mind, okay? So, he, he believed that the world was created by a lesser God, 
a power far removed from this supreme divine being that had nothing to do with physical physical things. Okay, so there was this kind of this underlying belief that anything physical and material was evil and, and bad and not good. This guy Serinthus taught that G the Christ or the Messiah and Jesus were two separate beings. Okay, there's Jesus the man, and then there's this person the Christ, and Jesus became the Christ for a while. Okay, he denied that Jesus was divine. He denied that he was born naturally, without the virgin birth. So he, he was just a man, right? Born naturally. And one of the things that was in his doctrine was, was that the person that was was uh, baptized as Jesus is not the same person who died as Jesus. Now he believed that at his baptism he was empowered with the Christ. Okay, that this Christ spirit <laughs> uh, guided him in his ministry while he was on the earth of healing people and uh, doing miracles and all this stuff. He had this, this Christ spirit in him. That it came upon him at the baptism. So he believed that, you know, that baptism was a magical thing. That's when God came into him. And then sometime just before his death on the cross, that Christ spirit that God spirit left him and then he was able to be killed by a normal human being. So the immortal man. So you have this guy that John is speaking to. This guy with this teaching that was out there that said Jesus was baptized and he was Christ after he was baptized but when he died and he shed his blood and the blood of that man was shed that was no longer the Christ. It was just this man, Jesus. Okay? So, John says, what does he say? Uh, let me read this again. Verse 8. Verse 7. For there are three that testify, the Spirit and the water and the blood. And these three agree. Okay? The Spirit is the Holy Spirit. The water is is the baptism of Jesus and the blood is the crucifixion of Jesus. He says those are all in agreement that this is the Christ. Now I was just wondering as before we go too much further, have, has anybody ever heard in modern times, like like even nowadays, anything like this as far as teaching and doctrine? Have you ever heard somebody express something like this about Jesus? Like the her heresy? The heresy, yeah. The heresy that Jesus... It, it comes in different ways, but I've actually read it and heard it in, in many different ways. And it comes around... Uh, maybe you've heard this. Something along this line. Now, these are not verbatim words by these guys, but it's something like Jesus was just a man that was totally full of the Holy Spirit. And that's how he was able to do miracles and wonderful things. That, anybody ever heard that? Because that is a doctrine that's out there that's being pushed by several people. Uh, several people that you would know very well. And watch out for it. Jesus wasn't just full, a man full of the Holy Spirit. He was God. He is God. Uh, there, was a, there was a preacher a few years ago that uh, one of the prosperity preachers who says, 
that he talked to Jesus and Jesus told him, people, everybody thinks I was God, but I'm not God. I just had God in me. He said that. He said those very words. That's, that is this old false teaching coming forward. So it's important that we see what John is saying is here is that Jesus throughout his life was the Christ. Jesus throughout his life was divine. Jesus has always been, always was. So John insisted that Jesus not only came by the water of baptism, but also by the blood of the cross. He was just as much the Son of God on the cross as he was when the Father declared at his baptism. It said this at his baptism. Look, look at Luke 3, 21 and 22. Can somebody read that? Luke 3, 21 and 22. This is at the time when John the Baptist, John the Baptist is baptizing people and Jesus comes along. And Jesus asked, if you read the Kevin Matthew, like we studied Matthew a while back, Jesus asks John to baptize him. Now somebody read Luke 3, 21, 22. When all the people were being baptized, Jesus was baptized too. And as he was praying, heaven was opened and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove. And a voice came from heaven. You are my son, whom I love. With you, I am well pleased. Thank you. Okay, so you have this, this scene where John is baptizing Jesus. And when he comes up out of the water, uh, John reports that he saw the heavens open and the Holy Spirit coming down in another, in another gospel. It says, in bodily form, like a dove. Like he saw it in, in the spiritual realm, the Holy Spirit resting on Jesus. And I don't believe it was probably a real dog, but maybe it was just kind of the, the way it, <laughs> the way he saw it, uh, kind of so that he's reporting that, okay? And then Mark and Luke report that the voice from heaven says, you are my beloved son or the son whom I love, with you I'm well pleased. So God speaks, you see the Holy Spirit coming down in on Jesus, and this voice from heaven saying, this is my beloved son, and him I'm well pleased. So you have that as the water, okay? That's the testimony of the time when Jesus was baptized, the water. Um, in John 1, 29 to 34, it says this. The next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him, and he said, this is John 1, 29, if you want to follow along. The next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said, After me comes a man who is preferred before me, for he was before me. I did not know him, but that he should be revealed to Israel. Therefore I came baptizing with water. And John bore witness, saying, I saw the Spirit descending from heaven like a dove. And he remained upon him. He being the Spirit, remained on Jesus. Now, just as a side note, it's important that when, when, when the Holy Spirit is talked about by, many, by the writers of the New Testament, it's spoken of as He. Not a, it's not an impersonal force. It's not some... It's not the force, okay? It's God 
It's, it's God himself. It's he, okay? He came upon Jesus, okay? Uh, he remained upon him. Verse 33, I did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, Upon whom you see the Spirit descending and remaining on him, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I have seen and testified that this is the Son of God. This is what John the Baptist says. This is John the Apostle recording what John the Baptist said to the people. Okay? And so John the Baptist, the one who baptized Jesus, the one who is, was told to baptize Jesus, uh, the one who said, I saw the, the Spirit descending upon him like a dove, and maybe it was just John the Baptist that saw that. You know, I'm not sure. It doesn't seem to be like everybody saw some, something like that. But John reports. John testifies. He says, I saw the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And then God told him, when you see the Holy Spirit descending on him and remaining on him, this is he who baptized with the Holy Spirit. And John says, verse 24, And I have seen and testified that this is the Son of God. So we have the testimony of John the Baptist that God told him these things. And we have this voice that's come that is reported by the people that were there. They heard the voice. This is, you are my beloved son. You are well pleased. So we have the testimony of God, okay? The testimony of, of John the Baptist. We have the testimony of John, okay? John, and we'll get to John in a second. So he came by water. So he's baptized like a man to identify with us as human beings. He came by blood. He died on the cross to identify with us as sinful humanity so he could stand in our place as a guilty sinner and take the punishment for us. So we understand that, okay? So the, the point that John is trying to make is that he's identifying with us in his baptism. He's identifying with us by taking the price for our sins and, and, and also the Holy Spirit is testifying about who he is. So John is kind of laying down testimony. He's kind of laying down testimony like he would in a court of law. And I remember studying evidence in law school and um, it was um, it's very interesting that a lot of it seems to be based on how the Bible, <laughs> you, you won't hear many people say this, but how the Bible is established as truth, okay? And one of the things we can t talk about with testimony, so, so look at, look at uh, verse 9. It says, if we receive the testimony of men, the testimony of God is greater. For this is the testimony of God that he is born concerning his son. So, when people look at testimony in court, okay, a testimony is evidence given. It's a record, it's a report, it's the witness, the person that was there. They give that testimony, okay? And that word is, is the word that's used here. It's a witness, a witness of the event, a testimony of the event, okay? Now, it's interesting that in, in general, a witness is competent if there's four things present, okay? And I'm going to break these down here. They establish a witness as confident if he can do when he does four things. He takes an oath, okay? 
And uh, he swears, <laughs> interestingly enough, on a Bible that he will tell the truth, the whole truth, nothing but the truth. So help him God, right? He must have personal knowledge, okay? Personal knowledge. You can't have heard it from someone else and say, well, I heard that this guy said, what this guy said, that's hearsay, and that's all another thing. But a good witness has personal knowledge. He was there, he saw it happen, he witnessed it, and he experienced it in some way, okay? He must have personal knowledge about the subject, with the person of his, that's in his testimony. He must have perceived something with his, his senses, so that's how he gets his knowledge. His own perception. He saw, he heard, he felt, he tasted, he whatever. Okay? It's not he saw it on the video, he read it on the internet. That's not that's not personal knowledge. Personal knowledge is through the five senses, okay? Perception. He must have a good memory. He must not I think it was like this, or I think it was like that. He has, must be established that he has a good memory of the situation. Okay? And the fourth thing is that he must be able to communicate what he saw. Now this what this is what makes a good witness, okay? So he must be able to take an oath and say, yes, this is true. I'm telling you the truth. So help me God. <laughs> Supposedly that that makes it more grave and sincere. Uh, personal knowledge through perception, a good memory of it, and an ability to communicate that event. So when we, set, we, set, we look at the testimony of men, like it says in verse 9, if we receive the testimony of men, the testimony of God is greater. Well, obviously, right? Because it's God. Um, somebody read Titus 1.1, 1, 1, okay? Talking about the, the what John is trying to establish here in, this, in the in the sense of the testimony about who Jesus is. Okay, so John is establishing that we have the witness of men, but we also have the witness of God. And so, what happens in Titus one one? Somebody read that. Paul, one and two, actually. Paul, a servant of God and apostle of Jesus Christ, for the sake of the faith of God's elect and their knowledge of the truth, which accords with godliness, in hope of eternal life, which God, who never lies, promised before the ages began. Okay. There's just, this is kind of Paul just introducing uh, uh, the gospel to Titus, but he says some interesting things. For the sake of the faith of for the sake of our faith as believers, as Christians, God's elect, okay? For the sake of the, the faith of the believers, okay? And their knowledge of the truth, okay? That's what he's writing this epistle for, this letter for. And then he says, which God who never lies promised before the ages began. <coughs> what's in, what's, it's cool in there is the, the phrase who never lies. It's interesting he put that in there. But in, in, the, uh, in the situation of uh, other beliefs in God, okay, we have an understanding of God that well, he, he's truthful. 
as God is true. And we say things like that, right? But in the in the in the in the um, polytheistic world, there was some gods that were deceptive. Okay, there were some gods that did lie. There were some gods that did uh, all kinds of. They attributed the idea that all, all these different gods did a lot of different weird things, and sometimes they would they would trick the people. So we we have an understanding that God is good and He never lies, but in that world at that time, not everybody had that understanding of deities. Now, so when we receive this here, we're seeing that there's an establishment of this truthful God who does never, that never tells a lie, okay? So God who never lies promised that there would be this salvation, this hope of eternal life. And he's saying, I'm giving you this for, your, for the sake of your faith and your knowledge of the truth. In other words, you can believe it and you can know it. That's why we're sharing it. So when we look at the testimony of men, we, we need to look back a little bit and look at, uh, uh, at John and what he said about Jesus because... Uh, there were certain things that happened in the life of John that didn't happen to us, that we have not experienced. So we're he hearing the testimony that John gave. Now look back at 1 John 1.1. 1, 1. Could somebody read 1 John 1.1, 1, 1, the very first verse that we looked at in this? 1 John 1.1. 1, 1. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. Did huh? you say one and two? No, just one. Oh. Okay. I want to point out a couple things. I'm, I've lost my Bible here. <laughs> For some reason I got it on two different pages now. Okay. But anyway, it says, what we have heard, that one of the first phrases in the first word, the second phrase is, that's which, which was from the beginning, which we have heard. Now, when he says, which we have heard, he's not just talking about Jesus, because look what it says. We have seen with our eyes. So he's talking about seeing Jesus with his eyes, which we looked upon and have touched with our hands. Jesus is a, was a material, physical person. Concerning the word of life, or about the word of life, or having to do with the word of life. Who is the word of life? Jesus. Jesus is always a good answer. <laughs> so he says, we have heard these things about the word of life. Now he's referring to his experience in hearing things about Jesus. Now this is, is brought out a little better in... Uh, by Peter in 2 Peter 1, 16 through 18. Can somebody read that part? I know we're jumping around a little bit, but this is establishing testimony. <laughs> so it's kind of, we're kind of getting there. 2 Peter 1, 16 to 18. For we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. 
For when he received honor and glory from God the Father, and the voice was borne to him by the majestic glory, this is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this very voice born from heaven, and we were with him on the holy mountain. So Peter spells it out a little more than John. So the three people, who are the three people with Jesus on the mountain when he, his face turned uh, white and his clothes were blowing? Who are the three people? Peter, James, and John. Peter, James, and John. Very good. So John was the third guy. So Peter says, Peter says what Jared just read here. We were with him on the holy mountain. We heard the voice from God the Father saying, This is my beloved Son. In him I'm well pleased. We ourselves heard this very voice. And talking about we, he's talking about him and James and John. We heard this when we were with him on the holy mountain. So this is kind of what the same thing John is saying in John 1.1, 1, 1, that we heard the testimony about who Jesus was by God the Father. Okay? So, if you read in Matthew 17, um, I'll just read it to you. Matthew 17, verse 1 says, Now after six days, now remember we went through this when we did Matthew, so some of you will have it closely back in your mind here. Now after six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and John, his brother, led them up on a high mountain by themselves. So, there's nobody else, okay? That's key. So John is witnessing a thing that has only happened to John. His personal knowledge, his perception, okay? His memory, okay? And he was transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun, and his clothes became as white as the light. While he was still speaking, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and suddenly a voice came out of the cloud saying, This is my beloved son, in whom I am well pleased. Hear him. Now here's a new thing. Now in the, in the time of the baptism of John, baptism by John, it appears that the voice said, you are my beloved son. Matthew, uh, Luke and Mark both recorded that as God the Father saying, you are my beloved son. You are well pleased. Matthew records it as, this is my beloved son. I don't know exactly which one is... <laughs> was it but uh, there's a new twist on this one okay in that the voice says this is my beloved son I'm well pleased with him listen to him or hear him so God is also saying not only saying this is my beloved son I want you to listen to him okay so we have the, the, the conclusion of that would be when John says in verse 9, this is the testimony of God that he has borne concerning his son. He is talking about that God the Father has testified that this is his son. And we, even though we can, we can you know, ascertain the, the testimony of a man, based on you know whether he's trustworthy and these different type of things. If God said it, and I, I was there when I heard God say it, that's pretty good. That's a pretty good witness to what this, this truth is. So John says, he goes on to say, whoever believes in the Son 
of God has the testimony in himself. So if we believed God, like I said already, we're being born of God, God's spirit is in us, okay? So we have God speaking this testimony to us in himself. So, and then it says, whoever does not believe God has made him a liar because he's not believed in the testimony that God has borne concerning his son. So John is saying, I heard God say, this is the son of God. And if you don't believe that, and if you haven't internalized that belief and have the spirit of God testifying to you that this is true, you're saying God's a liar. John doesn't know halfway. Either you believe that Jesus is the Son of God, and He's deity, He's divine, or you, you're calling God a liar because we have His witness and His testimony, and you have not believed it. Because He has not believed in the testimony that God is born concerning His Son. So, uh, just to get a little more clarification on on this, let's go to Romans 8, because there's a couple of verses there that kind of help this concept. Uh, could somebody read Romans 8, 14 to 16? Romans 8, 14 to 16. For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. The Spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you receive brought about your adoption to sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Okay, the last part especially. The Spirit himself, again, God himself, in the, in the person of the Holy Spirit, bears witness or testifies with our spirit that we are children of God. I, it's hard to... Uh, no, no, no. As I'm going through this, I'm trying to find places we could talk about, like discussion type points. And, uh, you know, this is pretty straightforward. But do we understand what that means? Have we experienced that? Anybody speak to that? Do we know what this means that it says the Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God? Do we have an understanding in our hearts? <coughs> That when we believe in the Son of God, we have this testimony in ourselves. And I, I don't have any other way of saying it other than we know because God is there. That's what John is saying. God is there, and we know He's there. And uh, so we believe this thing about Christ, and that's what allows His Holy Spirit to come into our lives. So that truth is a foundation. Okay? It's, a, it's kind of like we're the jury and, 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 and we're trying to decide whether people are trying to decide whether God is, is uh, Jesus is the Son of God, right? We have that as a foundation because we've already believed. That's what John is saying. We have the testimony in ourselves. We know because God has put that in our life, in our heart, in our mind. Do we understand that? Is that straightforward. Any thoughts or questions on that? Do 
John is basically saying here, I was there. I saw it happen. I heard the voice. I saw Jesus transform before me. I saw Jesus do miracles. I was there when Jesus was crucified, when he rose from the dead. I was there in the garden with him when he was praying to his father. And he's testifying about Jesus, about his knowledge. And then he's talking about the greater testimony of God. He's kind of he's kind of getting he's kind of building this argument about Jesus being the Son of God and why we should believe that, why we can have hope in that belief, why we can trust in that belief. So he says, whoever has the Son has life. No, verse eleven actually first, and this is the testimony. Now this is what God has said that God has given us eternal life, and this life is in His Son. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever doesn't have the Son of God does not have life. That's a, that's a key thing. I know. Have you ever heard the expression, ever heard somebody say, well, he's not really believing in any organized religion, or people will say this about this. But I don't believe in any organized religion, and I believe in any particular thing about Christianity or any other religion, but I'm very spiritual. You ever heard that? Somebody say that? Mm-hmm. What, what would John, the apostle, say about that? Imagine, imagine that person saying, I don't really believe in Jesus. I don't believe in the Bible necessarily, but I'm very spiritual. I have an awareness of God. What would John say about that? You would say... He, yeah, yeah. He'd say you don't know God, and he'd say you have your spiritualness is the spirit of the Antichrist, like he does in chapter four. Yeah, that's a good point. He would say that's the spirit of the Antichrist. Yeah, there's spiritual things, but he says to know God and to have life, to have eternal life, this belief is fundamental and foundational. It has to be believed for there to be any kind of life. And so he's, he's, then he gives the reason for him writing all this stuff about Jesus and belief and sin and the Son of God and, and loving your brothers. And he says, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may, what does he say? Know that you have eternal life. So he said, I've written all this and you can know. Do you think it's presumptuous to say that we know we have eternal life? No. What? No. Romans 8, where we just read, mm-hmm. my spirit testify on my spirit. Mm-hmm. That's it. That's one. And it's based on our belief, too, isn't it? According to John. First, according to John here, first John. Okay? Right? It's based on our belief. We, we have this belief. We have this knowledge. We've internalized the truth about who Jesus is. And it says we can know. I write these things so that you may know that you have eternal life. So there we are. That's the sum total of it. We have the testimony of God. We have the testimony of John the Baptist. who said this is definitely the Son of God. 
we have the testimony of Peter that we read. Peter saying, we were with him on the holy mountain. We heard the voice. We were there. We have two or three witnesses, right? We have James. James didn't say anything about him, but he was there. He witnessed him. We have John saying what we have heard about Jesus, what we heard from God. We have the testimony of God about who this is. And he builds this case and he says, here's all the evidence for us to believe and know. He says, I'm writing all this so you can know. I remember I was on a plane with uh, a friend of mine from uh, law school and uh, we just, my wife and I ran into him. We were on a safe flight. We got to talking about, for some reason, who was it, Joe? Talking about Irish Republican Army today? Yeah. We're <laughs> talking about that. And uh, he was talking about how he, uh, it's a long story. <laughs> and uh, he was talking about how he uh, had come to believe in whatever cause it was that he believed in. I think it was like, whether it was Northern or Southern Ireland, Catholic, Protestant, not sure. But he believed, he had come to believe in the uh, in the cause because of the conviction of one person. Now I don't know. I thought that was really strange because I don't know if it was even the right conviction. But he had come to believe that he saw this guy doing this thing or committing this know, some terrorist act. Or something. I don't know what it was. But he had he had believed so strongly in it and was willing to give himself up for it that this guy said, "Well, that must be that must be a good cause," and he had embrace that cause. Now if that happens on the human level, when we embrace this truth that we have, that you know that John is trying to reinforce here, that we know can know we have eternal life, I think it, it, it can move a lot of people. It can move a lot of people to the strength of our conviction. And, uh, hopefully that will be the case for this church. Father in heaven, I thank you for your word. I thank you that the spirit and the water and the blood agree that you are who you are. You say you are, that you've always been. And we can trust in you and we have the witness of these great men of God. These men that were with you and heard you and heard the voice speak and testify about who Jesus is. And we have their witness about your works and your words and the things you have done. And we can know that uh, we have eternal life because of the things written down for our education. Mm -hmm. I thank you for that, Lord. I thank you for your drawing of us by your spirit to yourself. Mm -hmm. I thank you for that. I thank you that we can have the witness in ourselves, mm -hmm. your Holy Spirit testifying that we are the children of God. And we can rejoice in that. We can take confidence in that. <laughs> We can live that way. That's the way that's true. And I pray that that would be the case in our lives today. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Amen.